Man, oh man, I hope you woke up this morning feeling the joy of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what I hope for you. If you got your Bible, open with me to John chapter 20. I don't know if you felt that or not, but I found myself reflecting this week on what it means to follow. We wanna talk about what it means to follow Jesus as our king. We did that last week and reflected on the crucifixion and how that points to his kingship and our, our need to follow him. And we want to do that again with the resurrection today. And I found myself thinking about uh, our social media culture. Now this is not a bash of social media, but if you're on social media, then you know that numerous platforms use this idea of following. They say you're following this person, right? Yes, are we familiar? So on Instagram, on Twitter, you, know, you can follow somebody. And I found myself wondering if that speaks to a lack of understanding in our culture of what it means to follow someone. When we do it on social media, what we mean is, hey, we're kind of observing their life. We're, we're checking out what they're doing. We're putting our eyes on you know, their family, their friends, their meals, whatever they choose to take a picture of and show us, right? And that's what we think of as following. But following really is something very different than that. And I just found myself wondering this week, I wonder if the fact that we use that term in our culture in that way is a reflection of maybe a lack of understanding of what it means to follow someone and why we choose to follow them. Have you ever wondered, why do you choose to follow someone? Now here, I don't mean social media. I mean that you would choose to place your trust or to, to, to um, say the way that person is going, the direction they head, the things they stand for, that's where I want to go. And I wonder if in our day and age, we've lost a little sight of how we choose who to follow. I mean, do we choose them because they're entertaining? They, they give us something to look at, something we like? Do we choose them because they're trustworthy? Because they have integrity. And we say, that's a person worth following. Do they seem to represent something that is true, profoundly and absolutely true, and therefore we want to go in the direction they're going? Do we follow them because they represent uh, something that makes us feel affirmed in who we are? They make us feel good about ourselves, and that's why we follow. Well, in the midst of all that, here's what I want you to do. We come on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that I want to teach you how to take hold of the resurrection of Jesus, not just as something that makes you wake up on Easter Sunday, it makes you feel a little lighter in your step. Hope it does that. But I wanna teach you how to take hold of it as something that helps you follow him. As something that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the one after that and a week from now and a year from now, that you would say, I know how to take hold of the resurrection of Jesus and leverage it and utilize it to help me follow him. To help me day in and day out say, I'm gonna put my trust in him. I'm gonna go the direction that he's going when it's against the grain, when no one else seems to be going there. I'll go there because I've learned how to take the resurrection and put my trust in it, my hope in it, to see it for what it is, that it's not just a nice idea, but that it profoundly changes everything about my life and the world I live in, because Jesus is not dead, he is alive. And if he's alive, then everything must be different. And I wanna show you three followers of Jesus in the moments following his resurrection and how the resurrection changed everything for them. I wanna teach you how to take hold of the resurrection to receive the joy that Mary Magdalene received when she saw Jesus resurrected. I wanna teach you how to take hold of the resurrection to do not just what Mary Magdalene did in receiving joy in replace of weeping and grief, but also belief when you are filled with doubt the way Thomas was. And I wanna teach you how to take hold of the resurrection 
to be forgiven and restored and filled with courage the way Peter needed to be. So here's what we need to do. Today, we need to enter into their stories, all right? I don't know if you're a creative type or not. My guess is my creative types, you'll have no problem entering into the story. You will get lost inside the world of our friends and followers of Jesus. If you're not a creative type, stretch your brains with me, okay? We want to go into the story. We want to put ourselves in their shoes. We want to go back 2,000 years and say, what would it have been like to be standing there in the garden? What would it be like to have been on that seashore or in the boat and to jump into the water and swim to where Jesus is the way Peter did and to hear him speak the words that he spoke to Peter? Can we do that today? All right, let's do it. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18, we begin with Mary Magdalene and her story. Beginning verse 11, picking up a little bit in the middle of the story. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. I don't read past that as it's like, that's no big deal. If you've heard this story before, she looked into a tomb where a dead person should have been and two angels were sitting there. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Do you hear the heart of Mary in love for Jesus? She's saying, even in death, wherever he is, that's where I wanna be and I can't find him. I don't know where he is and it's grieving me. That's why I'm weeping. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, just one word, her name, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In other words, she recognized him when he spoke her name. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I told you we picked up a little bit in the middle of the story. See, what had happened before this is that Mary had gone to the tomb, found it empty, ran back to where the disciples were and told them, the tomb is empty. I don't know what has happened. And Peter and John come running as fast as they can. And I love John's telling the story because like a true dude, he says, we both ran, I ran faster. And I got there, and then when I got there, Peter recklessly rushed past me into the tomb, and then I followed him a little more cautiously into it. We found it empty, and then they come out, and they go away. And that's where this story picks up, because Mary stays. They go away, Mary is bewildered, she is weeping, and she just stands there thinking, where is my Lord? I have to find him. And it's in that moment that Jesus, instead of appearing to Peter and John, when they're there at the tomb, waits until they've left. And to honor Mary appears to her. See, the angels aren't there when Peter and John go into the tomb. They show up when they leave. And Mary looks in and she sees the angels. And then she comes out of the tomb and she's standing there, shocked, bewildered, full of grief and sadness and weeping. And in that moment, Jesus appears to her. 
Now, friends, I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, you need to recognize, let's bring together Matthew's telling of the story with John's because when Matthew tells this story, he includes one line that John doesn't include and it's this line. Mary departed after seeing Jesus, departed to go tell the disciples like he had told her to do with great joy. Now in this Matthew story, there's one word that got repeated three times and I don't know if it caught your attention, but it was the word weeping. Did you notice it? It says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And then the angels ask her, why are you weeping? And then Jesus repeats that question. Why are you weeping? It's almost as if John wants to point us in the direction of her sadness and show it to us. You see, what's happening there is not the scriptures condemning Mary for weeping. It's making a point. The idea that she was so full of sorrow over the death of her Lord and over her confusion about where he had gone and where, what had happened to his body is replaced with the joy of his resurrection. In other words, what John is trying to show us is that the resurrection of Jesus replaces weeping with joy. It replaces sorrow with joy and gladness. There is a joy to be accessed in the resurrection of Jesus that is unlike any other joy you've ever known. How many of you have had children? That's a joyful moment, isn't it? The moment your child is born, one of the greatest joys in all the world, this joy surpasses it. If you've gotten married, the joy of becoming one with your bride, with your husband, with your groom, is an immense joy. The joy of getting into the school you wanted to get into, getting a yes to that job that you were hoping to get, the joy of seeing your kids trust in Jesus, the joy that is yours when you get the promotion, the joy of gathering with your family, I hope later today, all of it pales in comparison to the joy of the resurrection. There is no joy like the joy of Jesus being alive. That's what this story in John is trying to tell us. Mary, full of grief, full of weeping, full of sadness, is now overcome with joy as she runs away from the tomb. That joy can be yours. It is yours if you believe in Jesus. It's not a fairy tale. It's not fiction. It's not a nice idea that we invented. It is a reality that is imparted to you that there is joy to be found. Now, let me tell you, the first thing about that joy is that it's not a joy just that, hey, I'm gonna get eternal life. Now, that's worth rejoicing in, all right? I believe in Jesus. He's raised. Therefore, he can raise me from the dead. That is worthy of joy. But do you know what the first joy is? The first joy is that the one we love the most is not dead, he's alive. Our joy is that the one Mary wept over thinking, I just wanna be where he is and they've taken him away and I am heartbroken and sunk. Her first joy is not what it's going to do for her. Her first joy is that Jesus is alive and she loves him most. And if you love him most, the joy of the resurrection is that the one that you love has gone through the darkest night, has been to the depths and has come out. Now listen to what Romans says, because if you want joy, here's the joy. Romans chapter six, verse nine. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Do you love him? Because if you love him, then that to you is the greatest news that's ever been. He will never have to die again. He will be alive forever. Death cannot overcome him. And in fact, the verse continues, death no longer has dominion over him. That's our first joy. That's our first joy. 
Now, not only that, the joy of the resurrection is not the joy of never feeling grief or experiencing tragedy. I wanna make sure we're clear about that because some might think, well, he's overcome death, he's overcome the grave, so is the joy that's ours that life is just gonna be smooth and seamless from this point forward? No, 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 no. That's not the joy that's ours. The joy that is ours is much deeper. It's much more profound than that. The joy that is ours in the resurrection is the joy of knowing that life will have tragedy, life will have sorrow, and there is a joy that is immovable in the face of that sorrow. There is a joy that will always be deeply embedded in me, no matter how great the grief, because there is no sorrow that can overcome the joy of the resurrection, because the resurrection declares that everything in the end will be right, because he is alive. He has overcome death and the grave. That's the joy. Listen, friends, you don't want a joy that comes from only a life of ease. You want a joy that is immovable in the face of trial because, friends, a joy that has not been tested is not joy, but a joy that remains even in the midst of your greatest trial, buried deep within you, sometimes Hard to see, yes, but there nonetheless, that joy is worth more than all the money in the world. An immovable, unshakable, untakeable joy. It's what First Peter chapter one, verse three talks about, and it's what we sang about when it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see what Peter's saying? It's through the resurrection that you now have an unshakable, unmovable hope. That joy, that hope is yours and it cannot be taken. Mary, if we have eyes to see and to enter into the garden with her, shows us what it is to access the joy of the resurrection. Now let's look at Thomas, shall we? Just a little further down, John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29 says this. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Same words as Mary, yes, I've seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I want you to hear the challenge of that word. That's where Thomas is right now. You can put yourself in his place. Not, it will be enough if I see him too. No, no. I need to place my finger in the nail. I need to put my hand in his side. That's the only way I will believe. Have you felt that kind of unbelief in your heart before? I don't know that I can trust him. I don't know that I can go forward where he's called me to go. Now look at what Jesus does for Thomas to help him access the resurrection to help him move out of unbelief and into belief. Eight days later, don't miss that, eight days. It takes a while. His disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then, not ignoring Thomas, but going directly to him. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now listen here, friends. We're prone to focus on that last statement, and it's a good one, and it's a right correction of Thomas. You believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. By the way, that's you who have not seen and have believed, yes? Praise God. But this is what he says to Thomas. I don't want you to miss in that last word of correction the mercy of Jesus in that he does not ignore him. He goes directly to him. And what does he give him? He gives him what Thomas has said he needs in order to believe. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He could be indignant towards Thomas. He could say, Thomas, how dare you? Look at me, I'm standing right here in front of you. This is enough for you. Don't you see that I'm resurrected? It's not what he does. He doesn't go to him in that way. In mercy, Jesus says, Thomas, come here. You need to place your fingers in the nail holes in my hands. Go ahead. Thomas, you need to put your hand in my side. Go ahead. Come, here. Do you see the mercy of Jesus? He's saying, let me show you the evidence of my resurrection. Let me show you that it's true so that you would believe. Rather than be dismissive of Thomas, he says to him, and to those of us who have ever struggled with doubt, who have ever wondered, like, are you enough? Can I trust you? Is where you want me to go where I should go? If you're honest, you've felt that before. You've shrunk back in unbelief, shrunk back from a hard conversation, shrunk back from a direction you know you should have gone. You've let unbelief replace belief. And he says to you, come, come and receive what you need. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus now stands for us as a historical reality, a fixed point in history. Again, not an idea, not a story, not a, a parable, not a fairy tale. It stands as a historical reality, one the Roman government could not stop, one the Jewish religious leaders could not disprove, one that the disciples went to great torture and death proclaiming and would not recant from, and one that has launched generation after generation after generation of followers of Jesus who proclaim it, and his church will reign victorious forever. The church exists because the resurrection is a reality. Do you see it? Take hold of it. Know that it occurred. And as it occurred, it is an invitation to you to see what you need in his resurrection and to believe, not to persist in unbelief. And I wanna say specifically to my friends here today who do not believe in Jesus, listen, he is saying to you what he said to Thomas. Don't disbelieve, believe. Let me give you a historical fixed point reality that helps you understand in your moments of saying, is Jesus who he says he is? If he's been raised from the grave and all the evidence says that he has been, then he is who he declares himself to be. This is what Romans chapter one says. Romans chapter one, verse three and four. Paul, this is the way he introduces no lightweight to writing theological letters. This is how he introduces his letter to the Romans. He says, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. In other words, that means the king and the Messiah in the line of David from the Old Testament. Descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power. Okay, well, how was he declared to be the son of God? What was it that brought about that declaration, this is the son of God? In power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, his resurrection is shouting 
to you. And this is what it says. The spirit of holiness is the one doing the shouting, doing the declaring. In other words, the Holy Spirit present in this place today is declaring to you and I that Jesus is not just a human king. He is the son of God. And the proof is that he's not dead. The proof is that he went through death and he's back. That's what he would declare to you today. Don't disbelieve, but believe. The last friend we wanna look at is Peter in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Now remember with me two things before I read this story to you, because we, again, we've gotta enter in. Jesus has been raised. He has, not yet been, he has not yet ascended to the Father. He has appeared to the disciples numerous times. This is going to be one of his last appearances. The disciples are out fishing in a boat. They've caught nothing. Jesus appears on the shore, says to them, have you caught anything? They say no. He tells them to cast their net on the other side. It's a replay of an earlier scene in the life of some of the disciples when they were called to follow him. They cast their net on the other side. Their net is full of fish. They're struggling to haul it in, and in Peter, in good Peter form, just jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus. Just says, I gotta get there as fast as I can. I gotta wonder if John and the others are going, hey, how about some help with the fish? He swims in, they have breakfast together, and then this important conversation in the life of Peter. Remember two things with me now. Peter, one, had denied Jesus three times after he had declared that he would stand by him all the way to death, Peter had failed. He had done the exact opposite. He had denied Jesus three times. Also remember in Matthew 16, verse 18, that Jesus had said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, that's what Peter's name means, rock, on this rock, I will build my church. In other words, Peter, I have a plan for you. You're going to be very important in the history of this group of people that are called my followers, the church. So Peter's got to be wondering, is that now revoked? Is that now gone? Is that now done? God's plan for my life surely can't go forward after I've denied him in the most crucial moment. I shrunk back. Hear the story now. Enter into it with me. Verse 15 of chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Friends, can I show you how to take hold of the resurrection to be forgiven and restored and filled with courage because that's what's happening to Peter. In this moment, he's denied Jesus three times. Jesus invites him to proclaim his love. How many times? Three times. And each time he then says to him, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, let me invite you back into the work that I initially told you you were going to do. You are going to be a shepherd in my church. You're going to be instrumental in the work that I'm going to do in the world. So this is not just a work of forgiveness, 
where Jesus is saying to him, Peter, your lowest moment, the thing that you might be prone to go back to, to have nightmares about, the thing that you might think I could never be forgiven for that, in my Savior's greatest moment of need, I denied him. I said I don't know him. Look, friends, whatever is in your mind, you think I can't be forgiven of that, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Is it worse than that? Peter had to have moments where he thought, how could I be forgiven? And the resurrection of Jesus here is a, is a declaration to Peter, you are forgiven. Whatever it is, forgiveness is available. Come in confession, come in repentance, and receive forgiveness. And now imagine that Peter might say, okay, I can be forgiven. Praise God, that would be enough. But there's no way I could be restored to God's call upon my life. There's no way that I could enter back into the thing that I was called and made to do. That's surely done. That's surely gone. And what does Jesus do? In his resurrection, he declares to Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. In other words, I'm restoring you to the thing for which you were made. Friends, do you know that no matter what the sin is, there's a restoration available to you? Not just forgiveness, but restoration. And friends, it may take time. You may need to put yourself under the authority of spiritual you know, leaders and authority for years before you're ready to be restored to a, to a calling that you had in earlier days. It may not be tomorrow, but there is restoration available. There's a restoration to the work. If you will respond to your sin with confession and repentance, there is restoration available and the resurrection of Jesus invites you to see that. And then the final thing for Peter, don't miss this because you might think he could have ended there and it would have been forgiveness and restoration, everything Peter needed. But don't you imagine that if you're Peter, you're thinking, what's gonna happen the next time I'm really up against it? What's gonna happen when I face death for the sake of Jesus? Am I gonna shrink back again? Am I gonna deny him? And what does, what does Jesus say to Peter? In this moment, truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to go to your death for me, a death you will not want to die, but it will come and you will walk into it. Do you see that what he's saying is, you shrank back before, you won't shrink back again. You will go give the last full measure in your devotion to me. If you're Peter, this is not a scary statement, it's an encouraging statement. Praise you, God because the resurrection doesn't just fill me, doesn't just allow me to be forgiven. It doesn't just give me, grant me forgiveness and restoration. It actually fills me with courage and power to do what I couldn't do before. Before you were resurrected, I shrank back. Now that I know you're resurrected, I will never shrink back again. Do you know the power that's available to you in the resurrection? It's the power to not shrink back. Listen to the way Paul puts it. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 19, both the power that is yours in the resurrection and the glory that is Jesus's in the resurrection. Paul prays for the Ephesian church. I pray that you would be filled with the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, where does that power come from? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And now here's the glory that is Jesus' in his resurrection in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is alive, reigning, and all dominion, all authority, all power, both now and forever belong to him because he did not stay in the grave, but he rose. Friends, I want you to see, I want you to take hold of the resurrection. Don't think of it as this thing that we once a year really focus our attention on and go, yeah, I feel positive, he rose. I want you to recognize that the resurrection is the greatest tool available to you to follow King Jesus. It is there for you when you're shrinking back in unbelief like Thomas, and it's inviting you, believe. Don't be in unbelief, believe. It is there for you when, like Mary, you're in deepest sorrow and in weeping, saying, everything is going to be okay. I know it's hard now. It's going to be okay. I'm alive, and I'm with you. And it is there declaring to you, just like Peter, when you shrunk back, when you failed, when you sinned, when you're in need of forgiveness, the resurrection is there saying to you, come and receive it. It's yours. Come and have forgiveness. Come and be restored and be filled with courage, filled with power so that you might walk forward in a new way. The resurrection of Jesus is all of this and more. Take hold of it. It's yours in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask you to give us insight and understanding into your resurrection. We want more and more of it. We don't want to think of it as just a nice idea. We don't want to just reflect upon it once a year. We want to understand that it is the power of God expressed to us and given to us in King Jesus. It stirs our affection for you, Jesus, to know that you're alive. It gives us great hope to know that you're alive. It fixes our eyes on the very purpose for which we live, to know that you're alive. And so what a joy it is to proclaim it today. Let it burst forth out of us. Let us be filled with the joy of the proclamation I have seen the risen King. Now receive the praises of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.